today on Ag News Daily. And that's helped me with my work with animals. Because an animal is a sensory-based thing. They don't think in words. You want to understand any animal. You've got to get away from words. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Delaney Howell here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Back in action and joined by my co-host, Mike Pearson. Good afternoon, Delaney. We are glad to have you back. Madison stepped in, did a great job yesterday. Yeah. But I'm excited to have you back because uh, yesterday I know you were on the road. You were traveling through Nebraska working mm-hmm. with a bunch of lenders over there. What was the general tone? How were how are the folks feeling when you cross the uh, Missouri River? Yeah, I would say that the tone set by the bankers was very uncertain. They So I, I did a little bit of an, a farm bill slash Washington, D.C. update. So talked a little bit about the package, the disaster aid package that failed in the House earlier this week. But there's just a lot of uncertainty. They had a lot of questions about what can they do? What can they tell their growers to do? A lot of questions about what about livestock that are just missing because they have the livestock indemnity program that covers livestock lost, you know, passing away. But what about livestock that they just physically cannot find? I had one guy come up to me afterwards and said he had a a customer that had like 1500 head just missing. Can't find them anywhere. Don't know if they're dead or alive, whatever. So questions like that, of course, questions about grain that was in the bins that, you know, was destroyed there. So a lot of uncertainty on the banking standpoint as well. Ugh, yeah, I didn't even think about missing yeah. livestock. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can't qualify because right. I think you need a vet to sign off on the death, don't you? In order I, to get the death you, you have to prove that the livestock are dead somehow. So you can't really prove they're missing, but what are you supposed to do about that? You know? Oh, gosh. Boy, so, I hope I hope. So issue with our friends in D.C. to try and find some sort of solution. Well, and and speaking on a solution, so we saw on Monday that the Democrats voted against the Senate GOP plan of the disaster aid package. But then on Tuesday, the Senate Democrats filed a $16.7 billion amendment to the already House-passed disaster aid package, which adds an extra $2.5 billion to address, you know, rural... Uh, flooding in Iowa, Nebraska, Minnesota, or Missouri, excuse me. Um, so I, I don't, I don't understand why they did that though, because they had a, a Senate version and they voted no. Why did they put forth this? I guess I don't know the specifics of it, but it looks like a similar bill. Hmm. I'm sure there's some, uh, political reason for it. You I know. know. I don't know what I that reason is, that. but. Yeah, I don't either. It's all it's all a mystery to me. The machinations of Washington. I mean, who knows? Right. And part of that legislation doesn't, as I mentioned, the grain coverage fix doesn't include what's going on there. But um, Chuck Grassley and others are looking into what can be done with that, as well as Secretary Sonny Perdue. So, how to cover stored grain? You mean? Yes. Gotcha. Yeah, that's. That's going to be a huge issue. I saw a report. I don't have it handy, so I can't cite it. So, folks, take this uh, take this number as it is coming from my memory. But I believe they're they're thinking now ten to twenty million bushels of wow. corn and soybeans were will need to be destroyed because they were uh, flooded out. Oh, we're gonna have to. We're you're gonna have to find the report for that one. Yes. 
Yes, I will. I am Googling it for it madly <laughs> as we speak. Awesome. But, well, Mike, ahead, I know. Well, I was going to say, I think one of the things that we should address now that we kind of got that flood stuff out of the way is the um, announcement that President Trump made yesterday. Let, why don't you fill us in on that one? The border closing yes. shenanigan? Mm-hmm. You know, we ended up having a good conversation about that with Madison. And uh, today, things, there is no update. The border remains open. So we'll just have to kind of wait and see how this thing plays out. But, uh, yeah, that's that's not something a lot of us are looking forward to seeing. That's for sure. So, okay, I've got a, a little bit of an update. Or maybe you guys talked about it yesterday, Nancy Pelosi's statement on NAFTA or USMCA in general. No, bring us up to speed. Okay, so we know President Trump has said what he said about, you know, closing the border to Mexico, etc. Speaker Nancy Pelosi indicated on Tuesday the House isn't even going to consider signing or passing NAFTA until Mexico has implemented and passed major labor reforms. Yes, which was, uh, I think it caught a lot of folks by surprise. Right because the labor reforms are included in the USMCA, mm-hmm. but the enforcement mechanisms, at least as I understand it, are not. So basically the concern is, okay, oh. we'll approve this thing with these labor protections in it, and then countries like Mexico is the one they're taking aim at, won't end up actually enforcing them. And so, yeah, that was uh, Speaker Pelosi's point, was we got to see action taken on this before we'll approve it, which... I mean, to me, that sounds like it kicks signing of the USMCA out at least a year. I don't know how much more efficient the government is than ours, but mm. we're not going to get anything done in a year, you know? Yeah, I guess that's true. Oh, and I was wrong. So Indigo Ag was the company that did this update. They looked at satellite storage, and they found that 832 storage bins were destroyed in the mm-hmm. recent flooding, and they estimate... Five to 10 million bushels of grain okay. will need to be destroyed. So that's maybe a little more manageable. It doesn't maybe change the balance sheet for corn or soybeans a whole lot. No, it doesn't. I mean, it's one of those things where it's just horrible, horrible news for the yeah. growers that are sitting on, on grain that they've got to figure out how to get rid of. Now. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of getting rid of grain, I've got an update here from Brazil. Um, a group of Brazilian port operators, which includes um, companies owned by Cargill and Bungie, are unveiling a proposal this week to lower tariffs in the Panama Canal. Hmm. This is what jumped out at me. Right now, if they're shipping grain out of Brazil, it's about $200,000 cheaper per ship to ship it from Brazil, go down south around the Cape of Good Hope, and go to China. $200,000 cheaper to do that than it is to go north cut through the Panama Canal and get grain over to China that way. That's so interesting that you um, you have that as news for today. I, I was literally just in an interview before we cut today's podcast with Mike Steenhook, who is the executive director for the Soybean Transportation Coalition. We were talking about, you know, some of these costs of, of shipping soybeans in the United States compared to Brazil and, and some of our South American partners or counterparts, and Brazil is one that that constantly outdoes us in shipping costs. Has well, you know, cheaper shipping costs, I should say. 
Well, they are now looking to, for ways to make it even cheaper, it sounds mm, like. That's crazy. Okay, so actually yeah. because I was just, like I said, talking about this earlier today, I've got this graphic um, actually to highlight that a little more specifically, I think. So, for example, from Davenport, Iowa to Shanghai, the cost is... So farm value cost is about $337.55, um, $337.55. And compared to Brazil, the total farm cost is $296.10. And so, you know, a lot of times I think producers forget that in the end, they're the ones essentially paying for transportation costs through things like basis and whatnot. So Brazilian farmers get a lot better value for shipping their their beans to Shanghai or, or China. Yeah, yeah, that's surprising. Yeah, interesting. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Very interesting. Mike Steenhook is a neat guy with all yeah. sorts of facts that uh, I always learn something every time I have the chance to talk to him or, or listen to him talk. Yeah, absolutely. He'd be a great one to have on the podcast, and maybe I can even uh, sift through some of that interview and see if there's some good pieces to play on the podcast. Fantastic. You know, speaking of sifting through and finding the good stuff, Delaney, I don't know about you, but when I was in school, that was how I treated my school lunch. I'd sift through and find <laughs> the good parts, you mm -hmm. know, the brownies usually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we heard earlier this year that the Trump administration was rolling back some of the stricter standards that were put on school lunch programs by Michelle Obama and the USDA during the Obama administration. And uh, the idea was Kids are not getting meals they want to eat. They're throwing all sorts of things away. You know, the, the cost of schools is rising, so let's do something to make lunches better. Well, now we find out that several U.S. states are suing the Trump administration because those standards have been rolled back. New York, California, Illinois, Minnesota, New Mexico, Vermont, and the District of Columbia have all engaged in a lawsuit, and they say they want the tighter standards reimposed on school lunches, which I thought was, I thought that was kind of surprising because it seemed as though a lot of school districts in particular were excited to have a little more flexibility in making lunches that kids enjoyed. And one of the big changes that happened under the, the Trump administration rollback is that schools could now serve low fat milk, you know, one and 2% mm -hmm. rather than only serving skim milk, which mm. I'm a big proponent of drinking milk with you know, some fat in it. You right. gotta... I've never been, but I've since switched from skim milk to like one or 2%. Good for you, Delaney. It's just better for you. Eh, I don't know. I have mixed feelings about it. I think actually this would be a really fascinating podcast. If we could get somebody on some sort of dairy expert to talk about the differences in the percentages of milk, because I personally would like to know, and I don't really know. Don't, don't know what? Like what the what the difference is? Why is it? Why do people think skim milk is so much healthier for you as opposed to like whole milk? Or why is whole milk better for like babies and old people? Because they need the fat. We all need the fat. It helps fill us up. Um, I've got mixed feelings on that. Maybe a nutritionist is what I'm thinking. Maybe the best for this. Well, all right. Try to try to find a good nutritionist. I'm I'm gonna get on that. Glad to have that conversation. All right. I think it'd be an interesting one. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to stop drinking whole milk no matter what the nutritionist says because it just tastes better. I disagree, but you do you. 
Yeah, well, you do you as well, Delaney. Uh, well, let's see, what other news do you have for us going on today? So this is an interesting piece of news. When we look at trade discussions that are supposed to take place, official trade discussions taking place, I think April 15th or 16th is what I saw on the docket for U.S.-Japanese trade relations. But there are signs now, apparently, that the Trump administration might take a two-stepped approach to striking a trade deal, essentially creating the deal for agriculture first and leaving out some of those other issues later. And they're also trying to avoid another congressional ratification process like what we see going on right now for the USMCA agreement. So not sure the specifics of how this would work, um, but Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer said it's going to take a while to get an entire free trade agreement, but my own view has been that we have to take care of agriculture, the agriculture part of it, and some others, so it's balanced at an earlier stage. So some trade negotiators said they're going to have a hard time persuading stakeholders to defer their policy priorities, but on the other hand, ag is a really essential part of that, so they're going to maybe try and work around this and, and make ag the first kind of piece of this puzzle. Hmm. Well, that would be exciting. It'd be nice to see ag, you know, first in line in, in one of these trade discussions. Yeah, I think that would be really interesting. Like I said, I'm not sure how that would work or what, what they do, but I don't know. Worth watching, I think. Absolutely, folks. Keep your eyes open. We'll be bringing more news, as Delaney said, here in about two weeks when those things kick off. And right now, of course, we've mm -hmm. got the Chinese in D.C. engaging in their trade discussions. I have no news. I have no yeah. updates. Delaney, have you seen anything? I really haven't. No. Okay. I've reached out to a few of our podcast friends in D.C. to see if there's any whispers going amongst on the street, but I, yeah, I got nothing. It seems as though they're keeping a pretty tight lid I think on these so. discussions. Yeah, and then the only other piece of news I had looking back at domestic policy is EPA Administrator Wheeler told House appropriators on Tuesday that the agency is working towards issuing a final WOTUS or Waters of the U.S. rule by the end of this year. Oh, well, that would be good news. Moving right along. Get that puppy done. That's right. Then, of course, uh, lawsuits can begin, so that'll mm, be fun. Well, you know, whatever. Yeah, I mean, that's just what'll happen. It's the know. way these things go. Yep. Well, that sums it up for my news as well, Delaney. Should we jump into the markets? And the wheat market has been on a tear today. Should we yes. uh, see how things closed? Well, let's do it. All right, folks, and our markets are brought to us by our great friends over at the Zaner Group. Get in touch with any of their talented green marketing experts by giving them a shout at 312-277-0050 or visit them on the web at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. In core, the May contract was up one and a quarter cents at 362 and three quarters. December new crop also up one and a quarter to close the day at 390 and three quarters. Soybeans saw a little bit of a pullback. The May contract down one and a quarter at 8.98 and three quarters. November new crop down three quarters of a cent at 9.32 even. As I mentioned, Chicago wheat up big. The May contract up seven cents on the day at 4.71 even. July up six to close the day at 4.74 and a half. Jumping over to livestock, we've got red in the cattle complex today. April live cattle down 50 cents at 125.7750. The June down 65 at 119 even. Uh, that continues in feeder cattle. The April contract down 10 cents at 144.75, with May off 52 and a half cents to finish at 
27.50. And in lean hogs, the April contract up 12 and a half cents at $79.750. With the May taking advantage of expanded limits today after yesterday's limit up close, up $4.40 on the day to close at 88.40. Weakness over in the dairy sector, which is expected after yesterday's surprising rally. The April contract was down a penny at 15.84, and the May down eight cents at 15.62. Delaney, why don't you bring us up to speed with who we're going to be talking to today in the interview? Absolutely. So I'm excited. We're getting a new voice on the podcast today. We've got Corinne LaRue, who is a senior at Utah State University, submitted this audio to us. Um, on a recent interview she got to do with Dr. Temple Grandin. So let's kick it over to Corinne and Dr. Grandin. This is Corinne LaRue reporting from Logan, Utah for the Ag News Daily Podcast, catching up with Dr. Temple Grandin, who just recently visited our Utah State University campus. First, I guess I just well, kind of want to know what research you guys are working on now. Well, one interesting project that we did relatively recently was to look at different ways that mama cows defend their calves. And one of my students, Connie Florka, would go out, went to an Angus ranch, and she would circle the mom and the newborn baby in a, in a strange vehicle, totally different from the vehicles on the ranch. And what's the cow do? And some moms are more vigilant, put the head up much more quickly. Some will call the calf, you know, moo to it. And some walk away and leave it. You certainly don't want those. And we found that the ones that were more vigilant to put the head up quicker, they had a higher hair whirl. That was some work we did. And then another one of my students, Helen Klein, did some work on uh, on amount of space that cattle need in a stockyard at a meat plant at night because cattle are bigger now than they used to be. And our old guideline was 20 square feet per animal. And I kind of guessed that 22 square feet would be right. So Helen goes out there at 3 o'clock in the morning putting GoPros up on up on the uh, catwalk to look at all the cattle when they lay down. And if you go up on the catwalk, then they get up. So she triggered the GoPro with her phone and get them all laying down at night. And it turned out for some of these very large 1,500-pound uh, cattle, they needed 22 square feet in the stockyard so they could lay down at night. And she re recently just got a paper published on that. That's a couple of things we're working on. And we're working on some other things like small slaughterhouse, uh, uh, does the order that the animals get processed affect stress? That's uh, too early now to have any results on yet. There was some research that really put your name on the board. Can you tell me about that? Well, my, some of my most important research I did academically was on temperament. And that's about 20 years ago. And I came up with this idea that let's look at cattle that get excited in squeeze shoots. Will that have effect on weight gain? And that was radical stuff 20 years ago. We found that animals that went crazy in the squeeze chute did have lower weight gain and more likely to have borderline dark cutters. And that was done by one of my very first students, Bridget Voisinet. Now that's been replicated. There's been a lot of studies done on, on how fast cattle come out of squeeze chutes, and that also is related to their temperament. So that was some of my earliest um, academic research. And take it to more of a, you know, about your personal story, how was being autistic and researching that, how was that difficult for you? Well, I was a severely autistic kid, no language till age four, but I'm an extreme visual thinker. Everything I think about is a picture. So my very early work I did with cattle, 
I looked at what were cattle seeing, like a vehicle outside a facility, a rope across it, a hose on the ground, a paper cup on the ground, little things that most people don't notice. I noticed that the cattle noticed. Now, at the time that I started working on this, I didn't know I was a visual thinker. I thought everybody was a visual thinker. I didn't really know until 10 years later that the way that I think is different. And that's helped me with my work with animals. Because an animal is a sensory-based thinker. They don't think in words. You want to understand any animal. You've got to get away from words. What is your animal looking at? Think about the dog living in a smell universe that we can hardly even barely imagine. The dog checks out the local tree. He knows who's been there, how long ago they were there, was it a fr friend, was it a possible mate. There's a lot of information on that tree. Fast forward to now, what do you think some of the top issues in agriculture are today? Well, consumers are getting more and more concerned about where their food comes from. And uh, we're going to have to be a lot more transparent. And one mistake that ag has sometimes made is when they improve something, they haven't told the consumer. And we need to be doing a much better job with that. What do you think about the lately um, automatic milkers and dairies? Well, I think there's a real place for the milking robots, especially in some of the smaller dairies, because it will enable a single family to remain in dairying without having to deal with labor. It also gives that dairy family a flexibility of not being just tied to that twice-a-day milking. Uh, I talked to uh, one farmer up in Canada, and he said this is the first time I could go to my kids' hockey games. But I want to emphasize the robot is not automatic management. That piece of equipment is going to require a lot of maintenance, it's also going to require a very patient cow whisperer person to train the young heifers to use the machine. This is similar to what some of the pork operations found that did a really good job with group housing, teaching young gilts to um, use the automated feeders. It was a fascinating presentation two years ago at the Banff Swine Conference and the farmers in Nebraska that were very successful with uh, group housing. And they had to have this right person that's very patient to train those young pigs. Because if you scare the dairy heifer or you scare the sow, when you first introduce her to this automated equipment, she's going to be afraid of it. It's very, very important that it's introduced you know, carefully and patiently. That being said, how, what do you think the main problems are on dairies today? One thing I've talked about for years is that if you overselect an animal for any trait, you are going to get in trouble. I, I watched the pig industry make this mistake back in the 80s. They just selected for rapid gain, giant loins, thin back fat. They got tough loins, aggressive, nasty pigs that fought. And then they finally realized that you had to back off of this. And oftentimes people don't realize where to stop on selecting for a trait. The bulldog's a perfect example of this. And I want to commend the Angus Association for coming out now with EPDs for leg conformation. Because if you just blindly select for meat, you get bad leg conformation. Too straight, crooked, maybe collapsed ankles, that can happen in, in cattle. And fortunately, that's, I think, going to get stopped in cattle before it gets to be a problem. Uh, also, the high altitude sickness was getting worse, especially in the Angus as they were breeding for meat. And now the Angus Association has an EPD for the high altitude sickness, for the PAP test. I think a good way to look at these problems when you're doing genetic selection 
If an animal was a country, let's picture that an animal is a country. So I'm selecting animals. Now, if I take my entire national budget and I put it into the economy, it's going to be meat or milk, you know, a product, then I have nothing left for immune system that's military, and I have nothing left for infrastructure, which is things like feet and bones, and for heart. And I was just talking with Lyle um, tonight about the sheep out on the uh, Navajo reservation and that these uh, uh, hardy sheep that they have, the parasites hardly can live in these sheep. They don't get foot rot, but they don't have very much meat. You see, that's your trade-off. That particular sheep, if it was a country, has put most of its budget into military, and they just don't get sick. What do you, advice do you have for females in the agriculture industry today? Well, it was difficult for me in the 70s, being a girl in a man's industry. When I first started out, there were no women working in the feed yards with the cattle. The women were all in the office doing secretarial work. And I found I had to be really good at what I did. I had to work really hard. So I'd recommend the women be really good at, at something that other people want and appreciate. In fact, I talked to a lady last uh, year that was working on some crop science stuff and people were treating her badly. I said, you make yourself so good at some specialized area that you're going to be the go-to person. That's what you need to do. Make yourself really super good. And it's still really not fair. A woman has to be better than a guy. I'm appalled at the expensive messes guys get into when they still have jobs. And is there anything else that you would like to talk about in the ag industry? Well, I want to see the kids that are different be successful. I talked about the importance of having the right patient person train heifers to use the uh, automated milking. Oftentimes, a person that's dyslexic or one of the kids that's got a label, he's going to be that perfect person or she's going to be that perfect person to do these stockmanship types of jobs. And stockmanship doesn't get enough credit. You have a good pen writer in a feed yard, they can find sick cattle when they're just thinking about getting sick. That's a highly skilled person. And it's not, that person's not getting the credit they need to be getting. Well, I was really, really impressed with the dairy here. Beautiful, clean cows, perfectly bedded. See, if you're going to use free stalls, you really have to take care of your bedding. I had a student, Wendy Fulwider, and she did a study about 10 years ago. And she found that on the dairy, where they took better care of the bedding, you had significantly less swollen leg joints. That gets back to management. Another thing I want to say to students is something like that robotic milker, that's not automatic management. Mm -hmm. People want the thing more than they want the management. Now that automatic milker is going to take a different kind of management. Right. Training the heifers, uh, maintaining of the equipment, there's a lot of maintenance there. And, and then the person who's running the dairy needs to be spending their time walking out amongst their cows and making sure they're bedded right and the rest of the operation is good. Awesome. Well, that's all I had. Okay. Thank you so much. All right. Well, again, a big thank you there to Corinne. Folks, if you are interested in submitting your interviews to the Ag News Daily Podcast, we love having lots of voices on the podcast. Uh, Absolutely. Feel free to reach out to us on Facebook or on Twitter, or you can contact us directly on our new website, globalagnetwork.com. Mike, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let him go.